This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com download. Hello and welcome to episode 172 of Inside Acting. I'm Trevor Elgott, and on this podcast we bring you interviews with working actors, writers, filmmakers, agents, managers, producers, casting directors, personal finance and fitness gurus, voiceover artists, and more. All of them serving up insider tips on marketing yourself, creating your own work, and booking the gig. It's a knowledge bomb buffet for everyone, straight from the people who've been there, done that, and are doing it again. And AJ and I started this little podcast because we were two dudes who were looking for the answers, and we were sick and tired of being told that we, most of the time, had to pay kind of exorbitant fees to to get those answers. So we went ahead and made this podcast, hopefully giving people a reason to sit down and talk with us and tell them about their experience, what their answers have ended up being, and then we uh, put this thing out on the internet for free. And while all success stories that you'll hear in this podcast and elsewhere are are They kind of tend to be built on a common foundation. We don't believe there's any one right way to do anything. So if you hear something in this episode, even, or even on any episode in this podcast, uh, with which you agree or vehemently disagree, we would love to hear from you. You can send us an email, you can shoot us a tweet, you can comment on our website, find us on Facebook, leave us a voicemail. All that stuff will go to the same place. And uh, you can find out all the different kind of specific ways you can get your voice on the show by starting at our website, which is just InsideActingPodcast.com. And a bit later on today's episode, we have the second and final part of our chat with actress, writer, and performer, Dale Orlandersmith. Stick around. Okay, hey everyone, thanks for checking out the 172nd episode of Inside Acting. You're listening to the live version of me, Trev, half of our hosting team here. And joining us a bit later in this episode will be a pre-recorded version of AJ. Sadly, with the holiday crunch, the time zone difference, and our various thrival job commitments, uh, and some great last-minute audition, I mean, um, (coughs) meeting stuff, uh, AJ and I just couldn't sync up our schedules this week to record. In fact, on no less than three separate occasions did we have a recording date on the books, only to go ahead and cancel each one of those. And I take full responsibility for that. It was mostly me. In fact, it was actually all me. Some of you know that this past weekend was my short film shoot. We shot it on the 13th on Saturday, and we were gunning to get all 10 pages shot in one day, which is kind of an extreme pace no matter how you spin it. But I purposely wrote as few setups as possible into the script, and I also kind of like that minimalistic style of filmmaking where there's very few kind of shot setups, you know, like those long wide-angle takes that just let actors do their thing. You see that a lot in foreign films and indie films and stuff, and when you shoot that way, you can get a lot done in a short amount of time. 
And all the angles we shot ended up being long takes. You know, we got the traditional stuff, the wide, the medium, and the close, and the over-the-shoulder stuff. You know, we got all that. Um, but we were knocking out like a page or two or sometimes three uh, at a time. So so who knows? Maybe that that kind of simplicity by design that I, I wrote in will spill over into the post-production process as well. But yeah, it was um, supposed to be a one-day thing, and it ended up spilling over into two days, and I kind of had to make an executive decision to cancel the podcast recording we had already rescheduled twice uh, to accommodate the extra shoot day, which was this past Monday. I am thrilled, however, to report that the whole shoot went beautifully, and if the footage checks out, there are some lighting concerns that the director and I have with the footage we shot on Saturday after the sun had set. We were kind of hoping to successfully fake a a daylight look after the sunset, but um, I don't know if it worked out or not. We won't really know until we compare the shots later, the later shots with the earlier ones. But if it does turn out that we don't need to reshoot anything, then this thing is in the bag. So next up, of course, for me uh, with that is post-production. And I'm hoping I can coax our director into editing this thing as well. I also purposely didn't try to get a post-team in place for this for this short film. I didn't want uh, anything to hold me up from just getting something shot, from just doing it. So if uh, Alex, the director, doesn't work out as far as editing goes, and I can't seem to bribe some other editor friends with you know pizza or something, which is how I did Donor. I just gave my friend Mike a pizza, and he agreed to cut it for that, which was pretty cool. Uh, so if none of that works out, I can always just cut it myself, which isn't ideal, obviously. I mean, I'll probably end up cutting myself out of the entire project. Uh, but I do have uh, some experience with Final Cut Pro, so worst-case scenario, that's how, that's how I'll get her done. So the goal with this whole thing is to get it into at least one festival. And all I'm really looking for here tangibly is the IMDb credit and something to show for the past month or two of my, my life and career. I mentioned this in the last episode, but my sort of overarching goal for 2015 is to constantly be engaged in a project of some sort. And not for vanity or bragging rights, but just to practice, just to practice, practice, practice. You know, when we interviewed filmmaker Ryan Sage all those episodes ago, it was like back in like the 50s or 70s, I think. uh, I asked him what I should do with my short film donor. At that point, it had won like a half dozen awards and played a bunch of festivals and gotten some nice review on indie film blogs and such. And, you know, it was kind of like my baby. And when I asked Ryan kind of what I should do next, he didn't even hesitate with his advice. He just said, make another, make another film. He said, I've seen so many people make one film and then try to squeeze every last drop of life out of it. And that's all they do for years. So just let it go and get busy making another the, the way I interpreted that advice was to kind of s- just stop being so precious with my work and just let the larger picture speak for itself. Let, let the body of work that develops over several years and decades be, you know, my quote unquote baby, so to speak. And when we interviewed filmmaker Joshua Caldwell, he said the same thing in his interviews, that the story is not the film. It's not the, the film he made for 6K and, you know, made in French when he doesn't even speak French. It's, it's the trilogy of films he's making. It's the larger kind of career moves that he's, that he's making. And I love that. You know, I just love that that's the focus, that the focus is not the individual audition, if we were to kind of put it in actor terms here, but it's the larger kind of career um, kind of movement that happens over time. And I think that's a thing we do as artists, especially in the digital age. There's a really kind of pervasive, I want it now, mommy thing going on these days. You know, instant gratification is kind of 
built into our culture these days. But I think that the really impressive and meaty and nutritious stuff in life usually takes a while to kind of percolate and mature and grow. And I, I think we, as a, as a species, you know, we kind of shy away from that because, you know, frankly, it's kind of boring most of the time. The, the, the process of making something worthwhile and lasting and, and important and something with weight is typically kind of long and arduous and boring. But I also think that that's just life. You know, that, that kind of boring, boring, boring stuff goes on for a long time until one day it's like boring, 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 boom. Awesome, it's done. Look at this thousand-word novel I've written, or thousand-page novel I've written, or this film I shot with the same actors over 12 years. Anyway, um, yeah, so all that was just a big part of my sort of mental and physical and spiritual world this week. So, uh, hey, back to the rest of the episode. So AJ's got a few cool pieces of news to share, uh, both personal and in the larger industry kind of context. And strangely enough, there's quite a bit of overlap in our worlds this week, in both my world and in his world. He's on his way to LA, probably as I record this. So I'm going to go ahead and la- let him have a little airtime here. He, re- he recorded a little snippet for me to kind of include in this episode. And then I'll just pop in every now and then with my two cents in a, you know, when it seems appropriate. So, uh, hey, AJ, tell us about your week, man. This week, um, in addition to preparing for my trip out west, has been uh, a mixed bag. I am very excited to announce that I got an audition for the television show The Following. For you longtime listeners, you know this is my second time in. So the big news there is that I booked The Office, which I'm so excited about because I've heard from people in town that that's a tough office to get into. So the fact that I have been in once and booked the office and am now going in a second time has me really excited. Okay, so that's awesome. Huge congrats. And I cannot wait for the day I get to watch you on screen with Kevin Bacon. Uh, I can't wait to hear how it went. Um, And I also had a a sort of booked the office moment this week when I went in for my second reading uh, in the past month or so for a show that shall remain anonymous for the time being because it just, I don't know, it feels kind of weird to me to announce it here, but it's not like Hush Hush or anything. It's a half-hour comedy on a major network, and I was thrilled to be back in that office again. And part of it for me was a hookup from a friend who works in that office, but part of it was, you know, I'd like to think me, you know, doing an all right job. So yeah, relationship business, y'all. Okay, back to AJ. In addition to that audition, like I said, this week has been focused mostly on my trip out west and in creating the abundance so that that trip is relaxing. So I've been focusing a lot on working, making sure I'm working as much as possible so that when I'm not working, I can relax and know that, you know, the bills are taken care of, essentially. I will say that I hunkered down a couple of days here in New York and reached back out to all of my clients back in Los Angeles and really went just person by person and made personal phone calls to uh, enroll people into having me over during the holidays, uh, or I should say before and after the holidays. And that uh, has created the abundance that's actually going to basically pay for the trip, which I'm really excited about. 
Okay, so I just want to stop here and say that this is like the second or third time that uh, I've seen you do this, AJ. This kind of proactive going after creating the abundance you're seeking or currently um, like desiring um, to create for a specific end goal. And I love it. I, I do think it's it's that simple a lot of the time and that we tend to kind of go into pass, passivity mode with regards to our finances, a lot of us. Uh, yeah, man, pretty cool. Okay, so AJ has a few news items to share that I think are absolutely worth devoting some time to on this episode. So I'm just going to let him kick this off, and again, I'll just be dropping in with a comment here or there when something comes up for me that uh, I'd like to share. Uh, The first one isn't really a news item, but I noticed that uh, Hulu, or Hulu Plus, depending on how you look at it, has picked up the unaired episodes of a couple of television shows that were actually canceled. The two main ones being Selfie and Manhattan Love Story. And I thought this was an interesting thing in terms of how uh, media is being distributed these days. These shows were canceled by their cable networks. And then Hulu, I guess, just purchased the rights to air the unaired, quote unquote, air the unaired episodes. And... I wanted to know what our listeners thought. Uh, if they thought this was a good thing for the industry, for um, people out there making and selling television shows, television pilots, um, or if they thought this was uh, kind of weird, or if you think this is the way that things are going to be going in the future. Um, it, it makes me wonder if there's going to be this distinction between Hulu and Netflix, even where Hulu is like, oh yeah, we'll kind of you know come along behind the network television uh the 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 networks and and sort of clean up their their the things that they leave behind and put them on our service whereas netflix is really going for like more original content not to say hulu isn't but netflix and um amazon are really going for that original content hulu's got some original content but they're also trying this new model which i thought was interesting So yeah, I think this is really cool. I don't think TV in its traditional format is going to go away anytime soon, but I do think we'll see a lot more of this kind of thing happening. Uh, Personally, I can't remember the last time I said to myself, like, you know, oh, hey, it's Thursday. I've got to get home in time to watch The Simpsons or whatever by 8 o'clock. And I, you know, most of us just don't live in that world anymore. Everything is on demand now. And binge watching is sort of a weird byproduct of that like binge watching is now like a cultural thing that that we do you know we buckle down for four to six hours on a saturday and we watch house of cards all at once um so you know netflix has really paved the way and demonstrated that there's a lot of potential with delivering content this way with shooting it to be delivered this way and of course it's obvious that this is uh, a way more convenient and appetizing kind of model for audiences with busy schedules as well And this kind of thing is another reason, I think, to really, you know, I mean, we harp on this all the time, but create your own content. I know for a fact that a lot of studios and networks have entire departments now whose main responsibility is to just, you know, like troll YouTube for stuff and not just for ideas to steal, which happens all the time, actually. And I can point to at least one instance where it was like a blatant, you know, theft 
Um, it was actually the show, the TV show Glee, ripping off uh, the cover of Baby Got Back that Jonathan Colton did. But, um, you know, these, these departments are also trolling the, you know, YouTubes of, of the Internet and stuff for ready-made content that has a proven audience built in and an evident kind of draw. And, I mean, how much more authority would an actor with a body of work like that have walking into a meeting versus an actor who, who doesn't? And I'm not saying that this kind of thing is required. And to some degree, I, it, you know, it kind of does seem a little bit blech to me because, you know, like a lot of us have a sort of pure artist child inside that just wants to do stage work, you know, for the rest of our lives. But I do believe that there's an opportunity uh, here and, and with all this stuff, you know, perhaps even for the, the theater geek, you know, there's stuff that we couldn't even, we can't even predict right now that's going to be in existence and mainstream six months or a year from now. You know, some 15-year-old kid on YouTube is going to crack the code and, uh, and, and figure it out. And there's going to be just this, this you know, it, the whole world's going to get turned on its, on its head when, when it comes to this stuff. Um, seriously, mark my words. Okay, uh, back to AJ. He's got a second piece of news here that's also kind of related to all this stuff. The second news item is really a big news item. A lot of people have been talking about it, and I can't understand why Sony can't get their act together with regards to security, but they've had not only their second huge Sony PlayStation hack, but they also experienced a leak. Uh, Somehow, a ton of files got leaked from Sony uh, Picture Studio, or a ton of stuff, including emails from uh, between executives, um, a document uh, that had a bunch of like essentially employee complaints or comments inside of it, basically feedback and and mostly negative feedback in it, and um, these presentations or powerpoints that were meant to teach their marketing people how to market their films. This this leak has basically just put another nail in the coffin of the studio system. It is unbelievable how just how out of touch a uh, these these executives are and and their their marketing people, but b how incredibly focused they are on money and money only and with no with little to no regard whatsoever for the art making process and and the the fact that they are making pieces of art with their films if you haven't had a chance yet i would check out i'll, I'll try to find the link that i read on gawker um but i would encourage you to do some googling and maybe look up uh, this this particular news item because it affects the entire industry and it is it comes at a really bad time if you're a studio and a really great time if you are following the sort of um, you know indie life indie life what that uh, Trevor and I talk about on the podcast it's it's fascinating. You know, I've read that a specific hacker group calling themselves uh, like warriors for peace or something have claimed responsibility for this hack, this latest Sony hack. And that, and, and don't quote me on this because I think I might, this might just be hearsay, but that is sort of in direct response to Sony continuing with the release of the James Franco and Seth Rogen movie um, called The Interview, which is 
kind of a parody of the North Korean government in a lot of ways. You know, they 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 plot to to kill Kim Jong Il or Un or whichever one is in power there right now. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it kind of that you know that kind of makes sense that that rumor. Um, but I also do want to just t- chime in here and play devil's advocate because I agree it's a little detestable to see art kind of framed in such a business oriented light, such a money reigns supreme context with this hack and the information that's coming out. But at the same time, you know, it's business. It's business. Business is business. And art needs money to survive, to persist. And the studios, you know, they're not responsible for the art end of things. They're responsible for the promotion end of things and the money side of things. And it's the directors and the writers and the actors and the, the creators. Those are the people who are responsible for the, the actual art. And the studios, that's not their role. Their role has always just been to be a big bank and a big distribution machine. And I think that's really it. So there's more that both AJ and I have to chat about and share on the show. There's more that he shared in this little snippet he sent in, but I, I'm going to kind of cut it for time and, and continuity and, and not trying to cram too many different things into one episode here. So we're going to shelve those for later. Uh, probably the Actors Roundtable episodes coming at you all next week and the week after to round out the year. So for now, let's just go ahead and roll into the second and final part of our chat with Dale Orlandersmith. She's an actor, she's a Pulitzer Prize nominated writer, and she's a performer. And I want to kind of emphasize the distinction between actor and performer because her work really is so lyrical and beautiful a lot of the time that it, it seems to kind of transcend traditional acting. So that's kind of why I say actor and performer. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this as much as we did. See you on the other side. I heard uh, somewhere that you used to work at a shelter for runaway kids. What phase of your life did you did you go and, and do this work? I did that. I must have been about twenty two from like twenty two to twenty three, twenty four. Okay. I did that. Then I and you know, and I just you know, because I had I, I think I wanted to help, but also again because I didn't work out certain things within myself without going into major detail. But also again, I think when people go into that line of work, you really have to be super strong. You know, because often, because that work has a high turnover, because you see everything. But I was also, like I said, I was also in a runaway shelter, right? So you see, I mean, you see somebody who's 13 years old with gonorrhea of the throat because they're a hooker. Uh, You don't have kids who want to turn on you and stuff. And also because if somebody's 14, 15, 16, I mean, even though you're older, they're aware, too, that you're not that, that much older in certain ways. And I also think you have to be able to stomach it because I, there were certain children that I really, really wanted to help, but there were others because who were so angry and also because it's such a high turnover in the shelter. Um, you begin to hate them because they take it out on you. Wow. Because, I mean, and also what happens is with social workers. I mean, because it's not always because certain social workers are bad. I mean, I don't know how it goes in L.A., but in New York, back then, and I'm sure it hasn't changed now, I mean, a social worker now, like within 2014, maybe makes $40,000, which is nothing. One person can be assigned 100 people. I can see where a social worker can begin to hate those people because sometimes those people turn on them. 
the stuff that they see. Not all of those people are indifferent. So having said that, I'm in an emergency, like I said, working in this emergency shelter. A lot of times your coworker doesn't come in, which means you have to answer the phones, do intake. The cook may not come in. You have to do the cooking. There's like 12, 13 kids. You have to keep them from acting up. You have to make sure they clean the house. So you're, you're literally doing everything, and you do begin to hate them at times. And also, I think certain people come in, it's like, you know, they have romantic ideas about helping. Maybe I was one of those people, I think. And they are, you know, and their kid, you know, and, and you, for you to start thinking that way is also poisonous, but that's what it is. People don't look at that end of it. But I did want to help, and then it, and it got to a point that it was so emotionally draining, I couldn't do it anymore. And I became, I became bitter. Well, there was a play that kind of came out of it called, which was not done, it was another play called Black and Blue Boys, Broken Men. Yeah. that was done at Berkeley Rep and the Goodman about two years ago. That was a commission where I played, again, anybody could do it, where I played all men that were abused. Yeah, there's some really um, difficult things in that show as well, some, fa- some difficult subjects that you tackle there. Because they're young. I mean, a lot of them were really young as well when, when a lot of this happened. And not just by men, but also abused by women. Yeah, because we don't look at women as being predators. Yeah, yeah. You know, because one of the boys, one of the boys in Black and Blue Boys, is molested by his mother, and he turns and he and he's a hooker, and he talks. And he also talks about what it's like having to do threesomes with women, as well as like you know, with with couples and and, and certain women, because there are, you know, women have picked up men as well. We call you know, there was like there were escort services and stuff like that, or kept men by women as well. You know, we just didn't see that. It's like when, I mean, one of the things that, one of the major plays, Sweet Bird of Youth, Alexander DeLago is like, you know, with Chance Wayne, Chance Wayne is being kept by her. You know, or when we look at, for instance, again, here we go, the hypocrisy, Streetcar Named Desire, Blanche Dubois is a predator. Blanche Dubois loses her job, why? Because in Laurel, she has sex with a 17-year-old boy. And even in the movie, and then, and both in the movie and in, you know, because, again, my intro to it was, you know, Brando and Vivian Lee, right? And, you know, if, if, you, if you watch the film, now we're talking about 52, 50, 51, 52, right? When, you know, uh, you remember the guy who sells the, um, the paper, the Midnight Star, whatever it is, comes to the, to the house? Mm-hmm. And she goes, young man, did anybody ever tell you you look like a, something out of the Arabian Nights? And then she goes, I'd like to keep you, but I'm told I have to keep my hands off of children. So there's the hypocrisy that happens with that. We don't, we don't, I mean, Blanche Dubois is a revered character. People love playing Blanche Dubois, but Blanche Dubois is a pedophile. So when we look, what I wanted to look at in the play, beyond other things, is that when you have an older man, say, and an older woman or, or, or a young girl, that gets called molestation. When you have an older woman and a young boy, that gets called initiation. What was the word? There's initiation? The Initiation. We see it as no, initiation. right, yeah. When you see Summer 42, stuff like that, or tea and sympathy. People don't call those women pedophiles. They, they say she's making him into a man. But if a man does it, he, you know, I mean, his nuts will be chopped off within a minute. You know, again, this whole thing with the school teachers just coming out and all of this with the kids and stuff. It's just like that's always been. Or like when people bought their, you know, when, pe- when men bought their sons to whorehouses to quote-unquote make them into men. The hookers didn't care how old those kids were. They took the money and they fucked the boys, right? So these are some of the things that I look at. And then black and blue boys also, again, just, you know, how we view men and stuff. So, uh, but it's, like I said, interestingly enough, New York wouldn't pick it up, but Chicago did it. Chicago's a great city. Chicago did it, and Berkeley Rep did it. 
that's written where that, 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 that play can be multi-character, single character, male, female, and racially it doesn't matter who does what because I play people from different, men from different races. How was that show received in your experience? That show received very well. Wow. So people were eager to, nah, maybe this is the wrong way to put it, but they were eager to hear that story. They were open to, to hear it. They were it. open to hear it. And actually in Chicago, they were ego, e- eager because, you know, Chicago was a great, I mean, Chicago does something unlike that New York does. You know, they don't let a bad review stop them from seeing a show. If they hmm. like it, they go to see it. Here, you know, if you get a review, if the time slams you, you're fucked. Yeah. Mm. You might as well forget it. Of course, you know, uh, until of course the last week where people say, "Well, since it's going to close, let me hurry and see it." And Berkeley, so yeah, the reviews on both ends were were were, were very good. That's great. So, so it sounds like like you said, student of life. So you really, you really kind of it, like you, you're you're constantly writing things. I'm mean, I'm fascinated by the process, which is why I'm kind of going in this direction with this question. You're constantly mm-hmm. writing things down. You're you're keeping journals, things like that, and then and then from there you just develop this work. You just kind of expound upon it and, and let it kind of grow and, and evolve until it becomes a full-fledged piece. It, do, do you ever actually have a specific seed of an idea that's outside of your experience that you, that you want to develop? Yeah. Or is it I mean, all it's pretty- like in, yes and no. I mean, it's because I travel quite a bit, you know, and um, but like one of the most interesting places I've been is Istanbul because I want to go there because that's one of my favorite writers is James Baldwin and a book that he finished in Istanbul is another country, and it says, I think it says December the 4th, 1961 is where he finished it. And I said, I got to go to Istanbul just simply because of that. And also, because it's one of the places where life began. And it's, you know, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I have my, my ideas, just, I, I never lack ideas because I read constantly and I listen to all kinds of shit. And, I'm also influenced by painting. I'm in museums a lot and stuff. And, you know, my friends are diverse and I've always been diverse. It's, um, so that's, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is, is just writing it and then having the money and the time to sit down and do it because things are super commercial. But I've always been like that. I've always, you know, I've always been drawn to, to stuff. It's just, you know, like a sponge, yeah? So I can't, give, I can't give you a methodical reason or a methodical way as to how I do something. I mean, I can lay eyes on somebody one time and there'll be something about them that sticks with me for the rest of my life. That's, that's so cool to me. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah. So, so once you've got a piece that you're, that you're kind of working on, I'm always fascinated by this aspect of it uh, because I don't know much about it. What, like, how did you develop a working relationship with these different theaters and theater companies around the country? How did you go well, from somebody who was just kind of getting started to doing stuff all over the country? Um, what I did was is that I made sure that I, you know, kept relationships with them going because it's like, you know, when the solo work began to take off and then Yellow Man began to take off, Yellow Man still opens doors for me. I mean, I can write someone and go, I'm the author of Yellow Man. I was nominated for this Pulitzer 222, you know, and they'll go, oh, I know this, that, that. So that helps me do that. I don't, I mean, I have an agent, but I don't rely on that agent. So I make a point myself to make, have direct contact with people. Mm. So that's, that's, that's the way it was done. And then I would, and I would also, and I also make a point of going to certain theaters. I look at the theaters that do certain things and I go, okay, maybe this will fit in with that. And I, and I, that's the way I cultivated my relationships. I didn't rely on an agent to do that. I mean, you know, there's the contractual stuff that needs to happen, but Anybody who totally gives their life over to an agent 
tell them no, they, 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 that's foolish because, you know, an agent can drop you. You may want to change agents and stuff like that. I mean, all of that. You have to be self-aligned. And particularly in my, like I said, in my individual case, me stepping outside the box the way I am, I definitely have to do that. I've seen where there have been good agents. I've seen where agents have fucked somebody over all the time, you know, because people, and also what I've had to do, especially now as I'm getting older and just looking at certain things, you know, time will do that. There's a difference between often, between, I'm not saying it can't be, can't be both. You have to decide, do you want to be a star or do you want to be an artist? Because hmm. often those two things don't go hand in hand. I mean, there are certain people who manage to do both. I think, I think someone like Ray Fiennes is that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he goes between theater and film, and also like his choice in film. He may be. For people say, "Why did he do that stupid thing with J with J Lo?" I said, "He did that stupid thing with J Lo so he could do what? What Shakespeare did he direct? And, and and it was in oh fuck. Oh, it was uh yeah the one with um Gerard Butler. It was uh. It was brilliant. It's so funny, like, we, 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 we spoke with Kevin Sorbo not too long ago on the show, and he said he ran into Mike, Sir Michael Caine uh, at a hotel once, and he said, after they got to talk, and he said, you know, I got to ask you, you know, you're, you're Sir Michael Caine, why did you do Piranha 3D? And he said, Sir Michael Caine, he said, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Kevin Sorbo said, did you see that movie? And Sir Michael Caine said, you know, I, I didn't see the actual movie, but I did see the house that it bought me in Spain. See? <laughs> so, no, I remember, and I remember yeah. Michael Caine saying that he doesn't turn down films because also, yeah. if you know anything about Michael Caine, he's from the he's from the from East London. He knows what it's like to grow up poor, but also Michael Caine. I mean, I've also seen him do incredible work. Like if you ever see him in Mona Lisa, you know, with the great late Bob Hoskins, mm. he has a small role in that film, and he is menacing as this 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 cockney gangster. He, I think he knows he's doing um, shit. But also he knows when he's doing good work. But also, but what is it? What is it? What, what is it? What is it? Ray Fiennes? What, what? 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 What is? What? 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 what uh, it's um, Lanis. I looked it up. Coriolanus is fucking yeah. genius. I mean, what he did was incredible. He was amazing. I mean, that was amazing. I didn't like it, but also again, he'll do shit like that. Made him in Manhattan, so he can do that. So go back to the stage. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. So there are certain people who do both. I mean, I, the, the last time, I can't remember the last, someone like De Niro, I can't remember the last time that man's done, it, he's just phoning it in now. I mean, I think there can be artists in films, like somebody who's always been a good actor, but now I guess maybe because they're approaching 60. It's like, I always liked Denzel Washington, but then I saw Flight. I went, damn, I didn't know you had that in you. I have just one more question, then I know we gotta we gotta wrap up because we're getting a little okay. tight on time. But um, I mean, you're 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 a trained actor. Is there is it a choice to really kind of pursue the the work, the sort of theatrical route rather than you know really gunning for TV, film, things like that? I have, there's only you know there's there's again in terms of film there's one cat that I really want to work with, and who I want to work with is. I mean, there's a lot of people I want to work with, but it's just like the person who I want to work with, Steve McQueen. That guy's amazing. Not just 12 Years a Slave, but if you saw Shame, did you see Shame? I didn't with see Michael Shame, but it's on my list. It's on my list. You totally, and email me, let me know what you think of that, with Michael Fassbender. And also before that, he directed Michael Fassbender playing Bobby Sands. And also, it's like, if you know about Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen is a black Brit. And you know, Hollywood now is just saying, oh, you did 12 Years a Slave, so now you are a black director. And it's like, he says, I am a director. And he goes, I am a black man. It's given him both those things. But now what Hollywood is trying to do is make him into a black director. 
Mm. And he's fighting against that stuff. But the fact that, you know, I was, I was blown away and I said, this is what I want to do. Talk about the human condition. It's like, yeah, of course, you know, there's stories that maybe only like black people can do or white people can do. You know I mean? Because for instance, like my play Yellow Man, like I said, it deals with internal racism, right? I found out that a white uh, actor did that. You cannot do that. That totally negates what it's about. The same way it's like, I don't think that a lot of black, I don't think black people have business doing Tennessee Williams because it totally negates what that is. Like, for instance, now anybody can do Shakespeare, right? I mean, anybody of any race. But at this point, because he's been dead for how many centuries, right? I mean, his work is almost mythological at this point. Timing has a lot to do with that stuff. But for a black, a black Blanche Dubois, a black Stanley, how do you do that? Kowalski, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you change that to adapt it to that? Yeah, right. It yeah. totally alters yeah. that. So, you know, you, it, it can't be done. Right. Even though it has been done, it's like, you know, and I've, I know a lot of people who didn't particularly care for it. The guy, Steve McQueen, yeah, he did 12 Years of Slave, which is a great, you know, and then he turns around, he does Shame, and then he turns around, he does the Bobby Sands stuff, and I don't know what he's working on now, but I think it's phenomenal. You know, that kind of versatile work, I would love to do film, and I would love, he's one of the people I love to work with. But, you know, that kind of film and stuff, you know, for the most part, is not being made in America. We're just coming into things where we're seeing shit like... You know, say like you know, I remember like there was an there was an uproar about that commercial, about that that cereal commercial because oh, there was yeah. a mixed race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, huh. we still but got a long way on? to go, man. It was a, I didn't I didn't hear about this. It was, a, it was a Cheerios commercial, Trev, and um, there was a uh, mixed race, or you know, uh, I think it was like a white, I think it was like a white mother and a black father, and they therefore had a mixed race child, and. It was disgusting the 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 reaction of the internet, and I know you and I have talked about like, you know how people feel the ability to be anonymous on the internet allows them to say things that are you know fairly horrible, um, but this was one of the worst cases I've ever seen. They they I think they actually had to turn off um, YouTube comments on the on the video uh, or on the commercial that they posted on YouTube because it had gotten so. Uh, incendiary, you know. I I I would agree, uh, Dale, that you know we have a long, long, long way to go when it comes to race relations in this country. That's for sure. Yeah, and then also that extends itself into film and stuff like that. I mean, it's just you know in terms of the kind of film that's being made. Because if I were to write a, a like I say, you know, Yellow Man happens to be it, it is a, a story that has race definitely in it about light skinned black skinned blacks and all that stuff. But also it's Greek and it's also African. It's different kinds of things. It's just you know the sins of the father, the sins of the mother. But if one like as 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 a writer of color, the expectation for me is to keep writing about race and simply that. And I don't want to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. if, it, if it happens to be an interesting, like 12 Years a Slave, that particular story is so interesting, you know? But to simply just write about race because I am of color, I mean, it's given I'm of color. I don't, I don't think about my color all the time. I don't have to because it's a given that's who I am. But to continuously have to write about that or the expectation is to write about that, that is the, that's problematic, opposed to just being a person on the planet. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. We are all yeah. people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, so, you know? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Dale, next you're you're taking your your solo show forever to Long Wharf and then um, and then to New, New York, York Theater Workshop, and then yeah. next like December, January, go to Portland Center Stage in Oregon. That is so cool. That is so cool. You get to travel around the you travel around the country performing work that you've created for audiences 
that are seeking a new experience in theater. That's that's just so cool to me. Uh, and I so. and just for people listening, I saw Forever not once but several times, and every single time are it was you a really well, yeah, because I worked there. You know, I got to see it a lot. Yeah, it was wonderful, um, and it was it was you know like I said, there are some difficult things that you tackle, but there's also some really beautiful humor. The, you you have a very lyrical style of writing, and you you touched on so many different themes. It was a really eye opening, um, moving piece of work. Wow. So thank you for what you do in the world. It's really, really fantastic. Well, thank and, you, but you must be some kind of masochist to want to see the fucking thing <laughs> seven other times. You know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, Dale. The, the part, you know, you know what part I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there, there were times where I had this kind of tune out for a second because you know going there more than once, uh, you know, once or twice a week was was a difficult thing. But yeah, no, yeah. I can't imagine. Well, I'm gonna what it was be like doing it eight you. shows a week at the at the Long Wharf, dude. Jeez, and is that is that going to be a full run, or what's that going to be? Well, I leave I leave uh, here to go up there. Uh, I leave here like the twelfth, and it's going to be till like what February something. So you yeah, I'm there for a while. Wow. And Adam, wow. you know, Adam Phelan is coming in too. So oh, is he? Oh, cool. cool. And Neil is coming in. Yeah. Oh, right. that's so cool, man. And Look Talk, at, and talk is coming in for a little while, you know, and then yeah, that's what it is. So yeah. So for listeners who don't know, uh, Dale just basically named off a bunch of people who are involved in the L.A. theater scene, uh, specifically at the Kirk Douglas, just sort of behind the scenes that Trevor and I are are, are friends with. Um, My guys, they're cool. They are cool. They're they're our brothers. I mean, we we worked with them for years, so that's really cool. Um, Yeah, it's great. Dale, we, we, we like to end every interview with um, with a couple of, of questions to sort of um, inspire our listeners and, 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 and kind of get your unique or, you know, whatever guests we're, we're interviewing, their unique perspective on their journey through the uh, through this experience. And uh, they're, so they're always the same, but the answers are never the same. Um, so the first one is, um, do you feel like this um, path of being a storyteller, do you, believe, do you feel like that, this path chose you or you chose it? Both. I, I mean, I, I was drawn to doing this and it was presented to me. And uh, I also felt that it's, 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 it's I mean, that's, that's my food. That's my soul food. Yeah. Great. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Right on. And the second question we have is if you could take all your experience from, you know, the very early years all the way up through now, all your wins, all your losses, all your victories, all your stumbles, if you could take all of that and condense it down into one nugget of wisdom to pass on to people walking in your footsteps behind you, what would that one nugget of wisdom be? You know, continue to do what you're doing, but also really, really prepare yourself for the hardship. You know, be well prepared. You know, take the, because there will be a lot of dung flung at you, but if you can, take the dung and turn it into fertilizer. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I just had had a bit of a, I just had a moment. Wow. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Oh I stole gosh. that line from somebody, actually, but it's true, you know? But you take it. So be prepared, but, you know, take, but they, dung will be flung at you, but take the dung and turn it into fertilizer. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So, so Dale, I mean, there's a lot of information about you out there on the World Wide Web. Um, if, if anybody Googles your name, they'll find a wealth of information and, and background on you. But is there a specific place on, on the Internet that people can go to, to learn about you that you'd like to 
Tell us about it. I hate all that shit. I stay off. I stay out of that crap, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like I'm on Google and all of that shit. I mean, because you know, I don't even have a cell phone. You're calling me on. You know, the phone you're calling me on is a landline. I have a landline, yeah. and I have, uh, uh, you know, like uh, email and stuff. But I don't even have a fucking cell phone yet. <laughs> okay. Well, awesome. I was trying to like, I was trying to set it up just to be, cause I didn't, I didn't think so, but, uh, no, you know, I, just, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I mean, Google, yeah. Look on Google. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and that's it. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, people are trying to get me to do like, uh, how you call it to, 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 uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're trying to help me get on this thing, but I hate all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm on Google, so you can find a lot on Google. And also, like, if you type in the Forever piece, again, if you look into, um, uh, like, like, the, like, the next place is going to is, in fact, the Long Wharf Theater in New Haven. They'll have their, 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 their thing online advertising that. So, yeah. Cool, cool, and we'll make sure right. that uh, we'll make sure that for our listeners, we have links to all of that on our website on, in the show notes for this, so people will Terrific. be able to easily learn more about you. Way cool. cool. Well, Dale, thank you so much. This has been really thank you really so much. All right, welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the second and final part of our chat with the incomparable Dale Orlander-Smith. She's really one of a kind, and if you're ever able to create the opportunity for yourself to go see her work, uh, I think she said she'll be in Connecticut next and the Long Wharf Theater next. Just take advantage of it because she's she's truly a unique artist, uh, and her work is, in my experience, very, very moving. So, yeah, check it out. So, uh, Picks of the Week, another area where AJ and I overlapped this week. Uh, AJ hinted at this in the last episode, and so here it is, the movie Interstellar, directed by Christopher Nolan, who did the Batman trilogy, he did Memento, he did Inception, uh, Matthew McConaughey's in it, Anne Hathaway's in this, Jessica Chastain. Basically, if, if you haven't heard of this movie, you're kind of living under a rock, and just go see it. Just go and see it in IMAX, because... The soundtrack is a huge part of the experience, or at least it was for me, and you really need that big-ass screen and, like, bone-shaking sound to to get, you know, to really experience it. It's really unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, I think it's a whole new level of cinematic filmmaking, and I don't even really have words for it. Um, so here's AJ with uh, his experience. It, it, it just completely blew my mind. The hype is real. Um, go see it especially if you were into quantum physics and space in any way. Yeah, so go see it. And see it in the theaters. It is 100% worth the price of admission. And in fact, if you're a union member, if you're a SAG-AFTRA and you have your membership card and you are local to LA and you choose to go see it at AMC Century City in the Westfield Mall, that sort of outdoor mall there, that's where I saw it. And I showed them my card and they gave me two free tickets. So one of the many perks of uh, being a union member is you get free admission to a lot of the films that are kind of in the running for Academy Awards and, and things like that. So uh, nice little perk there. All right. So the listener pick of the week this week comes from a longtime patron supporter of the podcast, Matt Bailey. And Matt pointed us to an interview with a guy named Bob Krakauer, who, and I apologize in advance for being completely ignorant on all the details of this, but apparently Bob is one of the hot teachers in New York City right now. And Matt has been really just picking up everything that Bob's been laying down. And Matt pointed us to an interview that Bob did with a guy named Paul Mercurio. And again, I apologize for being ignorant. I don't know who Paul is, but watch him be like some huge kind of personality. 
but Matt said this this interview is kind of essential listening for actors. It's it's on a, it's a podcast episode, and Matt says, uh, "quote I have already listened to it a few times over. It gives a pretty good overview of uh, where Bob comes from in terms of technique, and he talks about mistakes a lot of actors make when approaching on camera skills, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So it sounds like it's worth checking out. I have not listened to it yet, but I'm looking forward to digging in. The link to that is on our website. All right. Our patron of the week this week is Brent Davis. Brent just recently uh, joined the IAP family. And Brent, we're thrilled to have you on board. Thank you so much for your monthly support. Uh, But we know nothing about you. So please, when you get a chance, go ahead and shoot us a headshot and a blurb with links to your social media and websites and stuff so we we can tell the world about you. But uh, thank you very much for, for joining the family and joining the cause. It's muchly appreciated. And we also have a big thank you that we wanted to give to uh, Timothy Rooney. He recently donated to the podcast. And Tim, you rock. Thank you for your contribution. It helps keep this thing cranking. Much, much, much appreciated. Both you guys. Thank you very much. That's all the news that fits for episode 172 of Inside Acting, which is produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and my co-host, AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator, and I'm emphasizing her last name because she gave me shit this week, because apparently we never say her last name on the show, or rarely say it, and this is like this thing that our listeners have noticed, Um, so I apologize (laughs) if we've only ever called her Jen. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Gamino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director, and Deborah Smith is our community manager. You can sign up for our free weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our recent episodes at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and pretty much wherever you download podcasts. And of course, this episode was also made possible by listeners like you. If you love Inside Acting and want to help keep the show going, sign up as a monthly patron and get cool perks like access to this exclusive online patron-only mastermind group that we're building. You'll get a shout-out on the show, the show's website, and the newsletter. You'll get freebies and discounts on merchandise like podcast t-shirts and other upcoming podcast offerings. we got some cool stuff planned for the new year that patrons will get for free, which is pretty cool. So lots of cool perks there. Just visit InsideActingPodcast.com and go ahead and click on the Patron tab. And remember, if you're a patron or you make any sort of donation or contribution to the podcast at all, you can write it off as an education expense. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. Thanks for listening this week, guys. And I'm so, so, so very excited to bring you our next episode where Trevor and I will be in the same room at the same time for the first time in almost a year. So that about does it then for episode 172 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. I'm Trevor Algott. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, go see Interstellar. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start.